Alrighty, we're Welcome live. back, everyone. Technically managing number eight. I'm Zach Telke. And I'm Ramu Murakami. I think that's like the most formal we've been. We like never introduce ourselves. We never at the beginning. do. <laughs> I know. Uh, we could just do like a little quick run through. If this is people first time joining, um, we're product managers at Oracle. We do this podcast where basically every other week we talk about things going on in both our product management life, spear things, kind of what we're thinking about, both in terms of just general career, specific technical stuff we're working on, and just kind of navigating a tech job that is focused around our role as product managers. And then also, we're both in our 20s, and also we'll discuss things kind of in our general sphere of what we care about and what's going on too. And with this episode... We are talking at the end of our last one about doing a personal finance episode, especially because a lot of corporate jobs, you have your financial benefits. And at the end of the day, it's like you want to get to a job that you love doing and that fits your personality skill set and that you find enjoyment from. But we are like here to make money. So being able to talk and discuss and learn about how you can like better manage your finances, how people are thinking about this stuff. I come from a finance major background and my first job was a financial analyst. So I think that's the primer that we're going to use for this conversation. I prepared a lot of notes on this. So I kind of have some runway to go with. Um, Ramu, like stop me at any point because I feel like this is going to be one of those episodes (laughs) where I get... I get in like monologuing just because I'm trying to keep the strain of like thought going. So yeah. any questions or if you want to interject, just hard stop me because it'll probably be hard for me to stop getting my brain going once I start. Yeah, I think it's a super cool topic because a lot of us don't know much about it. You know, like when you start a adult job, um, especially like if you're an international student or you're a first generation college student, a lot of these things, you know, like from different perspectives might be very useful, like getting educated about and understanding what it is. So I think it's going to be cool. And I also love the contrast of like, you know, like you coming from a financial background and me coming from a I'm new to the US, what the hell is happening? (laughs) So I think it's going to be super interesting. And I I also feel like talking to other people, there's more people that are not educated about this than there is. So it's, it's a very interesting and important topic, I think. Yeah. And even with my background, it's like, this is even before my finance background, like Mm -hmm. my dad was a finance major. He was a pilot by career but like from a young age like financial principles were something like consistently drilled in my head so like even with that and the fact I studied finance and I'm like constantly reading about it on my own I literally have like a pile of books right here if we get to it which I can reference um one of the things that's like interesting about the topic which like was something that I always thought about when I was little is like why are people always talking about this like you'd think we would get to an answer and kind of move on like oh yeah this is how you make money and like go on from there Mm -hmm. but the thing is it's like it's kind of like improving yourself or exercising there's general principles when it comes to 
good financial planning and managing your money and like planning out your money goals. But at the end of the day, it is something that you kind of have to like keep reinforcing and focusing on. And like, right. I'm even still like learning all the time. And there are times I like catch myself doing things. I'm like, I know better. This like, I, I know not to do that. Like I'm not listening to my own advice here. So it is kind of a balance of like learning the knowledge, knowing kind of how to manage your emotions around it. And especially what to be active about and what to kind of like set and forget. So, so like quick question about this. Actually, <laughs> I started watching this show. It's called How to Get Rich in Netflix. Ramit Sethi. Yes, I'm a big fan of him. He's a he does good stuff. Yeah, awesome. So, have you watched their uh, his show? I ha- I'm not familiar with his show, but I got introduced to him mm-hmm. back when he was. I think he's friends of Tim Ferriss. Back when he was on Tim Ferriss's podcast and. The two of them would talk about like personal money management in their episodes. He has, for people who aren't familiar, someone who could definitely talk about this subject better than us. Find the Ramit Sethi episode of Tim Ferriss. Um, very good one. I'm pretty sure there might be, he might have been on the show multiple times. Start with the first one and go from there. Very good information in that. That's been like a huge influence on me. Then like, sure, is somewhere in my subconscious. But you're saying you're like, he has, I saw his TV show. You're enjoying it. I really like it first because he talks a lot about, you know, how people are always like, oh, my God, like the first thing that I have to do is buy a house, buy a house. Right. And sometimes renting is a good solution for you. You know, it depends on your situation currently. So we always fall in this like social pressure to buy things or like live a certain way when we get a, you know, grown up job and stuff like that. So I really like that. Um, I also I was very surprised that so many people have been with their partner for so long and they've never spoken about money. So I thought that was like, wow. Like, for example, like my boyfriend and I, we talk about money all the time. And there's people that have been married for years, like 20 years type of thing, you know, and they don't talk about money. They they don't know like their like partner's financial spending habits and stuff like that that I think it's crazy and I also felt like the fact that there's people with crazy salaries and they're still living paycheck to paycheck I thought that was also crazy to me so um I I I I love that show that show and I've learned a lot from it yeah that's like that's one of the things that I found like most interesting is And it kind of goes to show why you have to think about this stuff consciously, because it's like not just about the money you have, it's like building wealth. Mindset's a word that I like, but I know people have different connotations of it, but it really is about mindset because how you direct the way you think, like that's going to determine like you can be making like a third half or whatever, like a fraction of the salary of someone who blows their money. And like Mm -hmm. I've heard like the constant, like there was um this one story that I don't remember where I heard it but basically it's about this like Wall Street investment banker and he makes like 1.1 mil a year and stuff and you're like oh my god you have so much money is all stuff like the guy was constantly having panic attacks and freaking out about his money because all of it was going towards like keeping up the lifestyle like wife of expensive Mm -hmm. taste he has to like eat at certain places look a certain way buy certain things donate money to the right groups and stuff so Like the thing with like wealth generation is having income is definitely helpful. But if you don't know how to like properly deploy that, it's like you can get yourself in 
really bad situations and it can be even more like depressing and demotivating if you're like oh my god I make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and I still have no money like if I can't do that with this amount like the situation's hopeless exactly yeah (laughs) I think also for example for college students I don't know how it is in Boston but in Tallahassee we have this like broke college student culture right where you know like you go to a bar and you drink like three dollar shots and you might go to like this like Thursday nights in at this club or at this bar because they have like a ten dollar cover with a, like the drinks included you know unlimited drinks included that they're they taste so bad you know but it's cheap you know so you do that you know and then you graduate and you end up with this salary and you're like, oh my God, I'm rich, you know, compared to how you lived in college, you know? So that's a big transition and change because what you thought, like, for example, back in the day, you might think that $10 is like, oh my God, so expensive or $20 is so expensive. And now you're making this money and you're like, my $10 are equivalent to $100. I don't know if I'm explaining myself right, you know, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's like totally different. So then you're like, okay, I'll spend $10 the same way, you know, $100 the same way I would would spend $10. And then you end up making like, dumb decisions, basically, you know? Yeah. And that's why I think it's important for us to talk about it. Because you could go like, why listen to us when there are like, so many older more educated like people Mm -hmm. on this topic and I just think it's about it kind of goes back to we've talked about this subject before but people listen to others who Mm -hmm. are closer to their situation and with money like the younger I have like some calculators up when it comes to like 401ks and how much just saving young versus like a couple years later like really adds up but getting in good habits when you're young can mm-hmm. start you out at such an advantage, especially because of what you just said, where it's like, you go from broke college kid to now making some money, you immediately go, you're now immediately used to a higher standard of living. So there are certain things like when you make money, it's like, yeah, it's good to make sure that you have certain bases covered, like having healthy food, making sure you have like an apartment in a safe area, deploy the money in a way that makes sense. But also where you can be careful about how quickly you can move, like you move up your standard of living, because once you get comfortable at a certain level and you're used to spending expenses at that, if you want to start saving, it's much harder to then drop down to a lower standard from there. Yeah. Like just because of how people are versus like you can work having the goal of like, I want to get to a standard of living where I have enough money where if I want to, I can go to my favorite restaurant all at like any night. That's very obtainable and good goals to have. Think about your future of like what you want to get to, but where you can kind of keep your discipline now before you get used to those finer tastes because that's how stuff gets harder. Yeah. And I feel like also the early um education of money so important so yes like we're talking to our gen z people you know but if you're like older if you're not a gen z (laughs) definitely try to educate your kids as early as possible you know because it will help and it will stick in their brains faster and easier i think 
Yeah. And like, there's also no like age barrier to like learning about this mm-hmm. stuff either. It's, that's, yep. I don't want this to be like, a, oh, like if you're older and you're still interested in this topic, like it's not right. something there's no, you have to like avoid like the sunk cost fallacy of like anything mm-hmm. up until this point, like, oh my God, like I've already made mistakes or I haven't yep. thought about this it's just easier for me to avoid the problem. Like you don't want to get stuck in that. Cause like, no, it's like, uh, don't take that negative mindset. The more like learning new things and, or just even refreshing yourself on certain principles, Mm -hmm. all you have ahead of you is the future. So you can't think in terms of like, oh, this is something I've been afraid of. It's kind of like going to the doctor when you need to, it's like, Mm -hmm. Hey, like don't avoid the problem. And like, you can fix this right now. And so like everything up from here is like so much smoother. And that's why it's like, even on this topic, it's like, I've thought a lot about it, but it's like, I'm going to continue to be reading stuff throughout my whole life. Like I'm going to be doing in my twenties, my thirties, my forties. I'm going to remember certain things at certain points and forget others. Like 20 Zach is going to know some things that 40 Zach probably forgets, but 40 Zach is going to like know something that 20 Zach didn't think about. So And overall, I think this gets overwhelming because everyone has a different perspective of it. So not everything works for everyone. So just, you know, it's kind of like our point of view and how we're living things right now. And of course, all of the theory and learning you've done, Zach. So whenever you want to give it a start. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I'm going to start with my disclaimers. Um, I'm not a financial advisor, all the legal stuff. Don't listen to me, blah, 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 (laughs) do your own research. Talk to the people who have the fancy titles and certifications. I'm just here to get you primed on it. That being said, here's what I have to say on it. Um, <laughs> and you okay. know what? Like, I would love to know what you've learned or what you've like read and what actually worked for you about things. You know, I think that's also interesting and important. Yeah. So the first thing I want to go over, and like this is kind of like an overview thing. If you want to know about like wealth generation, one of the things that I've been kind of holding myself to as my Bible on this has been, his name is Naval Ravikant. He is um, an investor. He's one of the founders of AngelList, which is a startup investing company. And he was like an early stage investor in like companies such as like Uber, Twitter, Postmates, Stack Overflow. So super accomplished guy. I can, I'll link it in the show notes and on the YouTube. He has a Twitter thread called, do, 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 I have it open, so I need to see how to get rich without getting lucky. This is one of the best collections of wealth generating principles I've like ever seen organized. Very good. I've literally like, I found it a couple of years ago and I've been using it just in my career and everything I've been doing. So like kind of like one of the starting points of like, you're only 26, kind of, you don't really have much time to show if your theories and what you think about it's worked, like mm-hmm. true to a degree, but also I've been having positive results by focusing on the things I've been focusing on. And if you want a good launching off point, uh, Naval's like thread on this, super good. He has like 12 Twitter posts he organized all with different principles about building wealth very much recommend taking a look at that and to kind of like i guess start as a primer on this and it's a bit of a summary of 
some of the stuff that Naval talks about also kind of like mixed with my own personal philosophy on it. The way that I think about money and building wealth is there's like kind of a trinity to it. There's time, money, and energy slash skills. And this is kind of like the baseline philosophy that everything that I think about money outside of this extends from. And how those three things work is when building wealth, regardless of what you do, what your career is, where you are in life, the way that like the economy works is by you making a trade of those of any of those three things. So let's say when you start out, you're out of college, you're fresh looking for a job, you chances are you have a lot of time, you have a lot of energy, not really skills, and you have no money. So what you need to do is trade your time to build up your skills and make more money. Because the point that you're trying to get to is no matter how much you love your job or you want to keep doing what you want to do. Like, let's say you're like a profession, you're a veterinarian, you love being a vet and you're like, well, I don't really care about getting rich because I don't want to be a vet the rest of my life. It's still a very great goal to work to get financial independence because then you can make sure your bases are covered no matter what life throws at you. And you have that comfort and ability to have freedom when you need it. And like, for example, going off that, like, you don't know what life will come. Like maybe stuff gets more expensive and your salary no longer covers your cost of living when you're living comfortably like a couple years ago and your profession has a pretty hard cap to as far as you go building up your own personal wealth so that basically you can choose how to spend your time the way you want to in both your career personal interests it just gives you a level of freedom and choice where you're not trapped in any environment you are even if you want to keep continue doing what you are now so like the ultimate goal of the way that capitalism works is the house always wins and who the house is is the owners now you can still be an employee and work for a company and be the house the way you do that is by having your own money and being an owner in terms of like what you invest into so there's a bunch of different ways to do that some might be like starting a side business others might be like getting into real estate one of the biggest and easiest ones because it doesn't require any time on your part if you do it passively is investing in the stock market um real estate takes more time to focus on than stocks starting a business probably has the most potential upside but that requires a lot of attention and focus so there's kind of like levels to this game and Ultimately, it's like all about use your time to get more skills. Once you have more skills, then you are a higher value person who can then command more money for their time and skills. As you get more money, deploy that money to make yourself more money. Is there any uh, like things you want to touch on at like that point so far? That's kind of like my first page I have. I got like four of them total. Yeah, no, I, I, that what you just said just reminded me of cash flow have you have you played that game it's a board game or is it just like i haven't heard of that 
It's um, a board game created by the writer of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's one of the books on my desk. Yeah. Yep. And I actually bought that um, board game. And I love it because you basically start with a profession where, of course, you get a salary and you also have your expenses, right? So like your mortgage, credit card debt, um, student loans, et cetera, right? Then you kind of pick a dream. So in the board, you'll see dreams like, I don't know, travel around the world, uh, sailing dream or something like that. So there's a bunch of dreams and you pick which dream you want to accomplish, let's say, or you want to buy, right? And basically, it's kind of like Monopoly, but you land in different places. I think it's called one is market. The other one is like small deals. The other one is big deals and stuff like that. So when you begin playing, right, you cannot really afford the big dream, uh, the big deals because they're like very expensive you know so you will normally start with small deals or at least that's how I've played it right I first start with small like buying small deals like investing in stock or buying like smaller houses or you know houses in foreclosure and stuff like that and then whenever I'm able to I start investing in bigger deals right that will help you maybe you know get out of the rat race the rat race is basically you working, getting your salary, you know, and um, I don't know, accumulating as much cash as you can. So basically the way you leave the rat race is by making more passive income than your expenses. And that reminded me a lot to like what you were saying, right? Like, you know, investing in stock or, you know, real estate takes a little longer for you to be able to invest in. So it makes sense, you know, I think overall, and it's a really good game. So you should definitely look into it. Yeah, that'd be a fun one to play Montana. Yeah, like I love Monopoly. So that kind of like sounds up my alley. Yeah, no one no, plays no, Monopoly with me anymore. I take it too seriously. <laughs> You're like fighting people for the property. No, literally, I will be ag- I will be aggressive. Like I negotiate <laughs> monopoly like this is real life. <laughs> like because I can't when it comes to my money brain, it's like there's no play. Like I it's not I, a I joke. It, yeah, I take it seriously. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think these games are really good for you to actually kind of understand how you psychologically think about money too, you know? Because it's definitely a psychological thing, you know. That psychological aspect is something that I think can be understated. And to kind of take a lesson from the game of Monopoly itself, like one of the things that you learn is how basically like once you get rich, it is you have to like F up pretty bad to lose your money. Like Mm -hmm. it is very easy to stay rich once you're rich and keep getting rich because you are taken out of that like rat race like survival emotional mindset and you can just deploy your money and like unless you get like greedy or mismanage or get unlucky with bad people you associate with it's you're pretty much made um Mm -hmm. and because of that like especially in the united states i've been seeing this trend in the past couple years maybe even call like a couple decades where people start to resent some of the facts of like what you'd call late stage capitalism, which is like, you do have all of these wealthy people who it's kind of like, Hey, like I'm working my butt off and they're like, you see this like generational wealth and like, especially in the Northeast where I come from, it's like, there's Mm -hmm. old money up there. And Mm -hmm. 
while you can say that some of the opportunity has been taken up because mm -hmm. of the fact that's like, yeah, there are more powerful players who kind of monopolize or have an oligarchy around certain industries and areas. It's kind of like, what are the chances that I can do something? But there's always new opportunity out there. And especially with the internet, which is something that like our generation natively understands mm -hmm. on a level that like even some of the smartest older adults, as much as they do grasp it, they they don't grasp it to the level we do because we grew up with it from a very young age and we're one of the, like the first generations to. So it's like, you can't, even though there will always be things that you can point at and go, it's unfair that that person has something that I don't, you can't get in that mindset because kind of like how I talked about or how we were talking about earlier, how it's like, oh, you can make all this money. And if you blow it, cause you don't have the right mindset around it, it's like, you won't be wealthy. If you start to resent wealth and look at it as something as like an other has that you don't, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to get to a point where you can have that freedom and wealth yourself. And chances are when you do move to that point where it's like you are building up that wealth and you are you are financially independent, you'll also realize like a lot of your conceptions about those type of people who do have things they were misconceptions based on your own kind of person, like let's say personal trauma. like, maybe it was justified. It's like, maybe you grew up in a low income house where money was always such a sore topic because there was so much just negative energy around it. And like, that's completely understandable. It's like, you don't want to take away people's experiences and what they had to go through to get where they are, because like, that is a very real truth. All I'm saying of this point is, you have to look at money and wealth as something that it's not you put the energy into it and it will re, it's like a mirror that reflects back what you show if you look at wealth as something that you build and you have a hopeful and optimistic outlook towards it when times get hard you'll be able to think of creative solutions to keep moving forward towards your goal it's like anything else you do in life you have to have a positive optimistic outlook and look at this as a challenge that you can overcome because as soon as you start looking at the obstacle as something that you're pointing a finger at and going like you're evil you're the devil you're spending all your time and energy just focusing on like criticizing that obstacle rather than moving past it so that's like probably the biggest trap outside of just educating yourself and being diligent and moving forward in your goals i totally agree and I think that's just like the poor mind mentality, you know, and it is also very hard to break it. Like, you know, like I come from my mom was an immigrant, right? She immigrated to Spain to help her family because her family was very poor in Spain, um, in Colombia. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's definitely a mentality that is really hard to change because, I don't know, like you, you just get used to people saying, oh, I don't have money. That's already like a, you know, I don't have money. I'm not like, this is my situation. I'm not going to work for it type of thing, you know, yeah. because it's not worth it type. Like it, like my situation is just not going to change even if I work for it. Right. Or the hustler mentality where you have to work really, 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 really hard, you know, and trade time 
for money, like for the rest of your life to survive. That's just the type of mentality that you're raised with, you know, at some point, like, for example, I don't know, like, it's, you definitely have a change in mentality when you surround yourself with people that don't think like that, because the first thing that you always think is, okay, you have to work really hard, you know, you have to be grateful that you have a job, like, for example, for, I don't know, like, in general, in my house, thinking that, let's say that one day I go crazy, and I'm like, you know what, I'm, I want to quit my job, like, I, I don't like Oracle anymore, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't have a plan, I don't, or or I might have a plan, I might want to just, you know, do freelancing by myself, right, for them, it's like, oh, my God, like, why are you going to do that? Like, this is a secure job, like, you should be grateful, you know, or maybe let's say that one day someone treats me bad in Oracle, you know, and I, I, I'm i just like, I want to leave. They're like, no, but you, you should still stay in this job, because, you know, this is what gives you stability, like, you shouldn't leave. And it's basically that, like, poor mentality, you know, of it's, it's better to have something stable than take risks, you know, and we should be like, at least I'm able to survive, at least I'm able to eat, you know, at least I have a home type of thing. So you definitely have to stop being scared of money or making it sound like rich people are bad, for example. I feel like a lot of people also think that, right? Like, oh, they're rich because they they did some shady stuff, you know? It's not, yeah, it's like, it's not even money too. It's just avoid groupthink because Mm -hmm. any group that like you associate with, like, Look, there are like plenty of groups I associate with. We -hmm. have our own biases. That's just kind of part of human nature and it amplifies. And you're always going to have this like inside outside thing. Mm -hmm. And that's like probably one of the biggest traps when it comes to money is like, if you're in an environment where everyone has like negative connotations around this and you're like, oh, well, like you're never going to get rich because like none of us ever got rich. And Mm -hmm. it amplifies in your mind, especially when you're young, you're like, you don't really know how things work and like what you're doing. You, you default to people who you look at as like wiser and just like having more knowledge than you. But it's, that's kind of like one of the things that like growing up, you realize when you start to move away and separate yourself from your parents is like, my parents are extremely smart people. My dad is one of like the smartest, most well-read people I've like ever met. One of the, <laughs> I'm sure this will get back to, to him. We need to bring him to the podcast. I know. <laughs> no, but one of the things that I had to realize, like when I was like in my 20s and moving away, it's like, look, there's plenty he knows, but and <laughs> people who know me will know this is where I get it from. It's like my dad's gonna give his opinion whether he's informed on the subject or not which is like he's pretty well informed like 75 percent of the time but he's going to still give his opinion on topics that he doesn't have expertise around that 25 percent of the time same as me i do that shit all the time i think it's in our dna and like kind of part of the game of like growing up and like you first realize it's to your parents but it's like also realize that like everyone else you interact with is like you have to look at other people as what are the areas that they are extremely wise in and they know a lot about? Listen to every freaking thing they say there because there is always something you can learn from other people. You just need to be careful about what aspects of them you listen to. If someone's like giving their advice about a career area or industry that they know nothing about and like it's not theirs, chances are probably don't want to listen to them about. If 
someone is like rich and has made a lot of money, especially if they're a self-made person. So, you know, they had to figure it out on their own. Listen to them about that. But maybe they're like extremely out of shape and unhealthy and they don't take care of themselves. You're like, okay, I'm not going to listen to you about health advice though. It's like all about using your own personal judgment. And this is where it's like, I think that just you have to take your mind into your own hands and like developing personal judgment is like one of the biggest things where it's like some of the not some of all the best ideas that I've ever gotten I've learned and stolen from other people Mm -hmm. but I still had to use my personal judgment to know who to extract what from and when right yeah Mm -hmm. no I totally agree also the that you know like saying kind of like sharing their opinion on like the other 25 that you don't know that reminded me so much of our training as a solution engineer because you know how they tell you to just basically say we'll get back to you if you don't Mm -hmm. know an answer (laughs) like I feel like I saw so many people answering a question without like being 100% sure and getting like called out like you do not know the answer to that. Oh, that's the wrong answer. You know? I know Oracle has been so good with that, my career, because <laughs> working in tech is like, I would say one of the less bullshitty industries where, because you're working with highly technical, logical things, like a lot of there's when you're like, say working on things like marketing or art or maybe like writing, there's a lot more subjectivity. And if you're a good person, convincer mm-hmm. you can get people to go along because there is the subjective aspect a lot of technical stuff with us being solution engineers and now product managers we have to say we don't know because i can't make something up right. and then just convince you that it's true because even if i get you to believe it on the call they're going to go back to their people and someone who's smart and does know something on that subject be like yeah, that's not true. And then they're then go, you're going to be a liar. Yeah. And then they're like, well, now we can't trust this guy because he like runs his mouth and like doesn't stop when he doesn't know what he's talking about. So like, yep, that has been something that like this job, I'm really appreciative. Mm-hmm. We've been able to like work on developing that skill because I don't like not knowing something. So for me, it's very hard for me to say, I, I don't, don't know, know. Mm-hmm. but this has forced me to get more comfortable with it and say things like, I don't know. I'll get back to you. This is outside of my area of expertise. So I'd be more comfortable if I pass you on to a resource who's more qualified to discuss this. Exactly. Yes. It's a great skill to have. And also like if you were to say, I'll get back to you on this, definitely get back to that person on that, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So that's, so we went through the first page. Um, The second page is basically, so we're on the point where we're talking about, it's like, okay, you want to get money and preferably as quick as possible. So then you can start deploying it to build your own wealth and get financial independence. This is why doing so as early as possible is so important. And it's because of something called compound interest. Compound interest is like literally the most powerful force in the world because when you make money, not only are you then making like you say have a hundred dollars and you use that hundred dollars on an investment, it makes you five dollars in a year. Not only are you now gonna say earn another five dollars on the next year, but with the original investment you have, but you can deploy that five dollars. So now not only are you investing a hundred dollars, you're investing a hundred five dollars. 
And that $105 might make like you the next year, like, I don't know, like $5.05. So as you invest and make money, and as long as you don't take away from that principle, you can like, you keep building this like snowball that gets bigger and bigger. And that's why once you have money, it's hard to lose it unless you do bad actions is because it continues to multiply. And I'm, I can share my screen or just run through it. Um, I'll probably share my screen for this because basically we can talk more about the specifics of it, but I just like set up some basic like investment calculators on like how you can use your 401k. Um, and this is just to show like how big of a deal like compound interest is. So can you see my screen here? Yep. So what I have here is let's say you're working with the assumption that you're 30 years old and you haven't invested anything into your company's 401k, which is your retirement plan. If at the age of 30, let's say you plan to work another 30 years, you want to retire at 60. And on average, the market more or less returns. If you look at like an index fund of the US stock market, historically, it's more or less 10% a year. There's going to be years where it goes down 30%, years it goes up 50%. It like bounces around. But on average, generally speaking, give a percent or two. The historic data has shown that the US economy um, from a stock index standpoint, roughly 10%, let's use it as our basis. Now, let's say, um, let me see what it is. Yeah, so right now, the current limit that you can contribute to your 401k every year is $22,000 or $22,500. So every year you can put that much into your retirement plan. And for just easy math, let's say that the limit stays there your whole life and you just contribute that. So if you take that $22,500 divided by 12 months, that's um, $1,875 of a monthly contribution. So let's say every month out of your paycheck, you put that 1875 starting at 30 into your retirement plan after 10 years or after 30 years of working with, let's say the market does on average 10% a year. This is how much you will have in your retirement if these assumptions hold. You would be contributing $675,000 over 30 years. The amount of interest that you would make from that is $3,192,831 for a total balance in your account on retirement of $3,867,831. So that's a lot of money. And before like we stop at that point, I want to show you how much that this multiplies if you just start a couple years earlier. Mm -hmm. So you might look at this and go like, okay, that's a lot of money. But this is why like, the earlier you start and the more time you let your money man like just fester grow it's like exponential growth so let's say all the same things that happen except you're starting at 
25 instead of 30. So you have an extra five years on the beginning. Still same assumptions. You start at 25, you're maxing out your 401k and you're getting that 10, like you're still going to the age of 60. Mm -hmm. So we're in the first situation. The interest you made was roughly Mm $3,200,000 from just starting five years earlier you almost double the amount of money that you make from that with $5,565,233 in pure interest. If you then go, okay, that's like a lot more, almost double from starting five years earlier on the front end. If you say start at 22, if you're able to max out your 401k from when you first start your job. So just even adding three more years to the beginning of that, you're looking at $7,705,000 in just interest and a total account of $8,600,000 roughly. So (laughs) that is why it is so important to try to make as much money as early as possible. And one of the first and best investment vehicles that you have, because it's completely hands-off, is your 401k where it's like, if you just diligently do that from when you first start working and nothing else, you have your like retirement covered. You can pay for all your kids' college. Like you are set. And that's just from maxing out a retirement account. So just like, it's a multiple, like multitude of factors. So it's not just like the way that like it works isn't just like, oh, it's just like a couple more years of money. It's like, no, because this is like an exponential compounding. That's why the early years are so important because of like what you see of just how it multiplies the money more like that small nest egg. I feel like also during your earlier years, you probably, probably not everyone, but probably you don't have children, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't have a mortgage yet, you know, or you might, but you know, you're not paying you basically your expenses are, are not as big as when you get older sometimes, you know, and you have kids and you start a family and they go to school and all this stuff. So it is easier to put more towards your 401k when you're younger than when you are older. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm not like old yet, you know, so, but that's what I'm assuming. Right. And it also goes back to what we were talking about at like learning to live at certain levels of Mm -hmm. just expenses where like for me, um, my first year out of work, I wasn't able to financially afford to max out my 401k. I got pretty close. I think I've been maxing it out for the past couple of years every year. So let's call it like a year and a half. I wasn't able to, but I've been doing it since. Mm -hmm. I plan on keep doing it until the end of my career and I don't touch it. So I am used to living Mm -hmm. at an income level where I don't even think about this money. That's the great thing about what like companies can do when Oracle goes in and runs my salary because I allocated it on the portal. It just takes the money out. So it doesn't even hit my bank account. I don't think about it. I don't look at it as my money. It's out of sight, out of mind. And that's what I was talking about, like, or I was alluding to a little bit earlier on passive investing where one of the biggest things and advantages of passive investing 
is you take away all the emotions because you're not trying to actively make decisions on things. You're Mm -hmm. not wasting your time and energy. And when the market goes down, you're not getting cold feet and be like, oh, what if something happens? I need to take it out. And when stuff is going great, you're not like also making any like rash decisions. You're looking at this as something where I can't touch this for at least another like 30 so years of my life. It will go up at times. It will go down. That's not my problem. I'm making the assumption that I will be fine. And I'll worry about more as I get closer to retirement. Exactly. Um, so do you like um, save apart from this? Or how do you manage that? Yeah, so I do try to save apart from this. Um, I've mentioned it on like other episodes a couple times. Honestly, just of like my personal scenario, uh, Mm -hmm. because my just to kind of like run through a quick like recap, um, me and my ex like shared an apartment. We broke up. The apartment's expensive. So when I was I was used to like living at like a rate where I only had to pay like half of what I have to do now. So my expenses are a bit tight on me right now. So I'm not saving as much as I want, but Mm -hmm. like I'll be moving out of this place and the place I'm going to next, like much more affordable. I am setting myself up where it's like, I'm keeping my expenses managed. I'm downsizing instead of upsizing, which is good. So Mm -hmm. I'll continue to like keep building up then. And I think like that is kind of, a good thing to talk about is like everyone has their circumstances. So do what you can, like, don't look at it as like, Oh my God, if I'm not able to do everything, like I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. I'm like right now, I'm happy that I can afford my quality of life and that I'm able to max out my 401k. Is it a little frustrating that I can't say like save more into my savings account of my bank account? It -hmm. is for me personally, because I'm hard on myself, but Mm -hmm. also it's like, I'm working towards a plan that will, let me save more and like keep that in. I just, I guess just like my general mindset. So I think like that's something that's like good to keep in mind too, is just work towards your goals and don't beat yourself up about where you get now, like where you are now, because you can get to a more secure financial place. If Mm -hmm. you just focus and like hold yourself to like what you're trying to work towards. Yeah, you know, something that I think it's crazy. (laughs) So I was running into this personal issue of sitting down and listing all of my expenses, like all of them. I'm being super extra honest with everything that I was spending in, you know, and actually basically seeing what I was able to like cut off or like, you know, live without and stuff like that. And I feel like after talking to other people, I was not the only one that couldn't just sit down and actually list everything that I'm spending money on. It's terrifying. Um, You don't. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But I think that's definitely the first step to being more conscious of money, you know, Mm -hmm. because sometimes you'll be like, I don't know, you'll go out one night and you'll be like, you know, it's just one night, but then just one night ends up being like the four weekends that you go out or whatever, you know, like, And I'm saying out just like, you know, to a bar or to a restaurant or, you know, just in general for a weekend. Right. And um, now I'm more conscious, you know, every time that let's say I go out with a friend and I'm 
I don't know, like, I don't feel maybe like drinking, but they're drinking and I'm like, okay, you know what, I'm going to get a drink. Like, if I don't feel like getting a drink, my, my excuse is like, I don't want to spend $25 in my drink because I'm in Miami, you know, <laughs> so I don't want to spend $25 just because my friend is drinking today. I don't feel like drinking, period, you know, and that has made me even healthier, you know, so I think the first step is definitely to sit down and see where your money is going. And that will make you way more conscious of when you're spending money on things that you just don't need, you know? Yeah. Cause like once you have the information, then you're equipped to act on it. And it's like, versus like, otherwise you're kind of just like guessing in the dark and like living in chaos where it's like, yeah, we're in our twenties. We don't Mm -hmm. have kids yet. Like, or that many responsibilities. Exactly. We should be going out of our friends and like mm-hmm. spending like probably some nights too much money on drinks and just having a good mm-hmm. time and taking an advantage of the portion of our life that we're in. But when you do like look at your bills at the end of the month and go, it's like, okay, this much is going to this, this much is going to this. Maybe instead of say going out like three nights a week, I only go out one night a week. Or maybe for exactly. you, it's like not the going out night where it's like, hey, like, I want to be more social. Mm-hmm. Instead, when I go out, instead of buying five drinks, I only buy three. So this that's like also something that I think people can get caught up with. And this is, mm-hmm. I would say, one of my traps when I was like, especially first graduated and like an adult is you do want to be careful with the flip side of it where pay attention to how you're spending your money and make adjustments. But all of money is about giving you freedom Mm -hmm. and you can definitely also go overboard of going, well, I can't do anything because I have to save this money and like, look at like where all this stuff is going. It's like, "Mm -mm." it's like, you don't want to do that either because life is short. You don't know when something will happen and you can't rely on the I'll be around forever and I can enjoy things when I'm older because like let's be honest like when you're young you have more energy and ability to do things and sure there are things that you will appreciate and enjoy more when you're older but like that's kind of why you can't like starve yourself at any point of your life on one side of like coin you don't want your young self to be selfish and starve your future self by not planning for a retirement and all that stuff but you also don't want this projection of your older self to be so scared and selfish that you're mm-hmm. starving the young version of yourself now too. And by like looking at this stuff, you then have the freedom to decide how you want to cut back on things or kind of like going back to my drink example, maybe you're like, well, like one way to look at it is kind of like what I was saying the whole, like, maybe I want to go out less days mm-hmm. because you have a, like you just, if you look at it as like, I have a money problem where I'm spending too much on drinks, there are multiple ways to approach it and bring it down. One is I could just go out less days. Others is I can buy less drinks like time I go out. Exactly. That's why it's like, I want, if there's anything I want to emphasize from this episode is you have to keep the positive mindset around it and not look at it as something that you're like afraid of because it's taking away from your life. By just looking at your problems objectively, you can realize there's multiple ways that you can solve it that fits your personality, lifestyle, and what you value and what you're looking to like do with your life. Yep, totally agree. Drops mic right now. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, for example, now um, 
because I think part of like when we go out is more of like yeah socializing and stuff sometimes I just call my friends over you know they come to my house and we chill at home you know yeah and we buy drinks like we buy you know we get some wine or you know whatever and we just drink at home if we want to drink you know but you don't have to give up your lifestyle for you to be happy you know and still I don't know spend social quality time or for example my problem my biggest problem is eating okay like I love eating good food you know Mm -hmm. but now instead of going every weekend to like a super expensive restaurant I'll go maybe once a month you know so yeah just find your balance yeah so another question that I have for you Roth or 401k Okay. And please give us uh, definitions because I'm terrible at that. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something I want to get into. So with your 401k and there's a couple other aspects I want to get into of this. Like this is just, I would say the first part and probably like the biggest is whether it's your 401k or uh, what's it called? Your your IRA. IRA is when you're self-employed. Most people are going to be familiar with 401k because that's like your corporate company um, retirement plan. They're both. Is, I'm is not. It? This this is where I do like financial. I'm not a financial advisor, mm-hmm. but if you want my quick and dirty, they're both pretty much the same thing. Like mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they're exactly the same thing, other than just like ones for your employer, ones for if you're a business owner, self-employed, or whatever. Again, fact check stuff before you make things. That's mm-hmm. pretty much the general strokes, but were you going to say something before I go into the difference? Yeah, because for example, um, I know with us, with Oracle, we, we can pick whether we want to do the 401k or the Roth IRA. Um, it's, I believe it's, uh, you can choose whether you want to do a traditional 401k or yes. a Roth 401k. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. those are the two terms. Right. I, I know what you're talking about. Speaking of which, like this, I... <laughs> I do get the two confused, like, even though I know what they are, I was like doing my taxes this year. Mm -hmm. And I literally like got the two terms mixed up in my head, even though like, I know what they mean so well. And I'm like, looking at like my taxes, I'm like, why do they look so messed up? Like before I was like hitting submit, I'm like, oh, I was filling out fields in the IRA section, not the 401k section. Mm Because I'm like, oh, I just like saw the word Roth. I'm like, oh, yeah, Roth IRA. I thought it was 401k. I'm like, oh, no. I don't the, do, uh, right. I, yeah, I don't do the IRA. It's the 401k. Yeah, that, that makes sense, actually. So, like, yeah. I understand that one, for example, the 401k, it's pre-taxed, right? The So, 401k is what the retirement plan is called. The, there are two the types traditional, of... Or, traditional. Yeah, traditional 401k. versus Roth are the two mm-hmm. terms, like, the two categories you're looking for. Right. Mm-hmm. So, the traditional one is pre-taxed, right? Yeah. So the traditional one is base or er, let me use the words that make sense in my head right now. And let me know mm-hmm. if I need to clarify with your traditional 401k, let's just say traditional retirement plan. You don't pay taxes on what you contribute now, but when you take the money out, when you're retiring and you're starting to use it, that's when you get taxed on it versus a Roth is you pay taxes on it now. Um, and then, so when you take it out when you're older, you don't have to pay any taxes. So like, let's say uh, for easy math, you make $100,000 and you put $10,000 towards your retirement. 
if you have a traditional 401k, you will only get taxed on $90,000 of income now, which is good if you want to lower your tax liability, the taxes you owe now. But then when you go to take it out in the future and all of the interest it's made, then it's gonna you're going to get taxed on that end versus, say, if you do a Roth 401k, you will be taxed, even though you're putting that $10,000 towards your retirement, you're still being charged taxes on $100,000 worth of income. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. I wish I would have known that. Honestly, like it's not like it changes my life, you know, but I didn't understand that part before of yeah. like, you know, taxes and stuff like that. And here's some like good tips on navigating which one's right for you. Generally, and I will always be, I mean, there might be a a tipping point where tax maneuvering, maybe sometime in the future when I'm contributing, like when I'm older, like let's say close to retirement, it's worth um, switching. But just for basic, easy concepts, Roth Using a Roth for whether it's your 401k or IRA, whatever your situation, mm-hmm. that is generally better, um, especially if you're starting young because you're operating on the assumption, I'm at the beginning of my career in an entry-level position. I will be making more money when I'm older, and the way that taxes work is the higher your income bracket is, mm-hmm. the more taxes you pay. So it makes sense if you're able to financially afford it to be able to um put like to be able to pay the taxes now so that way all that money grows tax free and then when you go to take the money out of your retirement account you don't have to pay any taxes if you were to say just invest in the stock market on your own and you like make all this money you have to pay taxes on that when you take it out that's one of the beautiful things on a retirement account is like you don't you can avoid either in the putting the money in or the taking money out a tax liability on it. Mm -hmm. Um, So generally, if you kind of are working with the principle of I'll be making more in the future because I'll be getting more skills, I'll be more valuable, more mature, I'll be in a higher paying um, position, role, whatever, I'll be in a higher tax bracket. Roth is the way you want to go, which will be the case for most young people. Now, this is where knowing the principles, but then applying it to your life Mm -hmm. is important because you might have a situation where that's not the case, where for whatever reason, it is beneficial for you to save on the taxes now. And maybe you expect to be like, maybe, I don't know, it's, I believe when you're married, you're taxed on dual income, but let's just say for whatever reason, when you're older, you plan to like do something with your life where you are going to be making less and you expect to be in a lower income bracket. Doing a traditional 401k in that situation would make sense because you're going, I'm, you're making the assumption in your brain, I'm making more now and I'm in an income bracket that's higher taxed now than where I plan to be in the future. Mm-hmm. Less likely than most people's situation, just because it kind of goes against the logic of building skills and being able to command more money for it. But everyone has different situations. And that's why like 
you want to make sure that you think through this stuff and like do your research to your own personal one because like there are options and being able to use those levers to benefit how you're planning your life can be very helpful. Like, does that make sense? So I just explained there of everything. Yeah. So what I'm getting is that for the traditional 401k, right, Mm -hmm. depending on the bracket that you're in. So like by the time you're retiring, you're like retiring and taking your money out, you pay the taxes of the bracket that you're in currently or is that not yeah like the or or for yeah for traditional Mm -hmm. you will be paying taxes based on your tax bracket at that age oh okay i did not know that and it's not it's not age-based like it's not like they go like oh people who are in their 60s it's Mm -hmm. yeah it's like it's it's all based around how much you are making at that point of your life, mm-hmm. which is why like the assumption is like you're older, you'll be making more money. So you'll be taxed okay. higher. Like that's like, that's the logic behind it. If that okay. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. So like with traditional, you don't pay taxes. Now you'll pay taxes when you're older with Roth, you pay the taxes now because the assumption is, I'll be may, I'll be in a higher tax bracket when I am older, so I don't want to pay tax at that point, and I want my money to grow, um, like just tax free essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So let's see. That's um traditional versus Roth. One of the other big things, and I feel like this is something that not a lot of, like a lot of people glaze over, is with your four hundred one k companies will also um they have like matching policies a lot of them do and how that works is let's start with like a simple basic example and i can expand from there is a lot of companies will match say they'll do like between like 50 and 100% matching of up to like 3 to 6% of your salary So this is what that means. And this is why it's like so important is because what matching is, is for the money that you put into your retirement account company, your company will also put in money too. And this is like one of the best benefits of like a corporate well-benefited company like Oracle is not only can you contribute up to the personal like maximum limit of like 22,500. But then you have an extra couple thousand dollars that your company can like throw in on top of that. So like all of those, I mean, it's like basic examples, but like all of those uh, investment calculator things I'll showing you earlier, that was just based off a of personal investment. Like if those other assumptions hold, you'd be making even more because your company is adding another like 6K to it every year, for, like for that example. Um, so this is how the matching works is Let's say that your company does a full 100% match of up to six, per, up to 6% of your salary. And let's keep using the easy numbers. Let's assume you have a hundred K you're making every year and you're contributing 10 K to your retirement plan. What that means is by that matching is for every dollar you put into your 401k, your company will also put a dollar into your 401k up until 6% of your salary. 
So with $100,000, 6% of that is $6,000. So if your company has a full 100% match, the first $6,000 you put into your retirement, your company will put $6,000. Any dollar you put in after that, they'll stop putting money. 6K is their max because 6% of 100,000. You can still keep going all the way up to your maximum contribution limit of 22,500, but you're stopped by that 6,000, like your company will stop at $6,000. So before I go into like adjusting 100% versus like 50% match and all that stuff, like does that concept make sense? Yep, it makes okay. sense. So that's how, say, that basic works. 100% is the easiest one to start with. Companies have 100%. I would say a lot of them, say, have something like 50 or 75% matching. And mm -hmm. even with like the percent they match up to, I'd say the normal range is like 3 to 6%. I don't think I've ever seen a company do more than 6 but I might be wrong. Um so like, let's just say if as another example, your company will match 50% up to 6% of your salary, same $100,000, same $10,000 you're putting into your retirement fund. This is how it works. For every dollar you put in up until 6% of your salary, your company will match 50 cents. So what that means is once you put in $6,000, your company will have put in $3,000 at that 50% match rate, but they stop at that $3,000. They stop when you hit 6% of your salary and they've done 50% of that match. Does that make sense? Yep. So okay. basically you put 6%, but then the 4,000, um, 4, those, they don't match your, you know, like the extra... To get to the 10,000, they don't match that. They match up to 6,000. Yeah. And I think one of the things that could be most confusing about like the wording around it is you go, oh, if you match 50% of my contribution up to 6% of my salary, mm -hmm. does that mean I understand the whole once I put in $6,000, you only put three. But if you match up to 6% of my salary, does that mean? If I put in another $6,000, I can get the other $3,000. That's mm -hmm. not how it works. How it works is like they stop at after you've contributed 6%. So it's not like a, you can get them to go up to 6% of your salary. It's like, no, no. Like it's the only contribution match until you've put in 6%. And with say 50%, they put in $3,000 if their match was... 25%, it would be 150. If it was 75%, it would be what, 4,500. So, like, that's kind of like where people can get confused, like how those two levers interact. But that's like the way that works. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. So, that's that. And let's see what else we got. Yeah. So, the last thing I want to talk about on this topic is the different kinds of funds that you can do with your like 401k and just retirement funds. Because I think this is where people like don't know what to do. And they go like, oh, I'll just go with whatever like looks the best, has like the best marketing or 
maybe like I'll just defer to a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. And this gets into my my personal investment theory, but it is based on sound principles. And just as a reminder, all this stuff is my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Everything I've talked about, check my math, do my research, like do your research. I'm pretty sure everything I've said is accurate, but like with money, you always want to triple check because like just even something as simple as a percentage point off can have huge ripples. Like we saw with the investment calculator, how like adding two years can cause so much of a money difference. And with percentages, like that stuff multiplies. It's why you have to be very tedious. Mm -hmm. But this is my theory on what investment fund to choose with your retirement. I am of the philosophy based on all the evidence that you can't predict the market. And even if you were really smart and a Warren Buffett type, where it's like, you're very good at value analysis of a company. There's a reason I got out of finance. I don't want to sit around all day analyzing companies. I have other things that would probably, I can guarantee that I will make money on versus spending all my time working on something where I can still be wrong and lose a ton of money. So for me, I've kind of made the personal when it comes to the stock market choice of like, I'm going to assume I can't beat the market. And I know based on historical data, mm-hmm. there's only like, let's call them the number varies, but like, let's call it, there's only like five people who've like beat the market in their life. And Warren Buffett is like one of those people your chances are you're not going to be Warren Buffett and you don't need our financial (laughs) advice if you are because you're already making like literally hundreds of millions. There's a reason why like the really good investment types like make so much money. But this is like the thing with funds is there's this thing called alpha and alpha is what every single investment fund will try to market to you as the reason why you shouldn't get an index fund and you should let them actively manage your money. Um, For just a quick example, an index fund, which is my favorite type of investing, what that means is, is basically you can choose to do an international index fund, a U.S. index fund. Let's start with U.S. because it's easier. A U.S. index fund basically looks at the market of all publicly traded companies, basically companies you can buy public stock of and go rather than I'm going to pick the winners and losers of what I think it is. I'm just going to bet that the market, I'm going to believe in the market in the long run and the US and global economy will grow over time. Sure, it'll go down in the short term, but in the long run, human progress, we tend to move forward. That's how we work human nature wise. So by doing an index fund, rather than buying specific companies, you are buying a, let's say you're putting like $10,000 in index fund. That $10,000 is then like split amongst buying like a very tiny piece of every single company in the public stock market based as a percentage of what that company's market cap is like basically like its value and stuff. So the benefit of an index fund is basically like kind of how I was talking about where generally the market over history, roughly 10% return rather than trying to outplay the market and think you can do better, which sometimes you can in the short term, you almost never can in the long term. 
You're just going, I want to invest in the market itself. It's extremely diversified. So you don't have to worry about like one company t- like tanking and you losing all your money. That's the problem with trying to pick winners and losers. And here is the biggest kicker with index funds because they're passively managed and the work for the financial people who work on like putting together and managing those funds is very minimal. It's a very simple equation to just be able to deploy this money, divvy it up like amongst all these companies, blah, blah, blah. Like that's your basket index fund. Index funds have the lowest fees of any funds out there. Because let's just say, for example, you give one of these financial like managers the benefit of doubt who are like, oh, we can outperform the market. We have this, this, this new strategy, blah, blah, blah. It works. Even if they are right, they're going to want more money because of all the smart people that they have hired to basically find out this winning strategy. Because it takes a lot of brilliant people and I'll get to this point in a section, like a second, but like at the aside, it's like, you still can't, you're, you're not God. Like you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Like that's like the biggest human like fault fallacy, mm-hmm. but they're still going to ask for a higher fee. And these fees can be very expensive where it's like, you look at it and you're like, oh, the fee is like only one or 2%, like 2% is nothing. It's like, mm-mm. with compound interest, like you saw how much money that two, if you took like 2% of the seven, like, let's just say like the 7 million that you made an in interest over your lifetime. Like what's that math? I'll do it really quick. Yeah. So like 2% of 7 million, you'd be paying $140,000 in fees to these people who like, probably will be wrong and underperform the market versus if you just went with the market and like went with their fee check like all the index fund fees are essentially priced very close to the same i don't this isn't the exact number but it's like roughly the ballpark where if like a strong actively managed fund might be like i don't know like one or two percent an index fund is probably something like point zero one percent so like let's say if you work with like 0.01%. This is where I hope I'm putting it in my calculator right. <laughs> yeah, like someone check me on this math because I'm going on the spot and I'm trying to talk to you, but like I just got like $700 on that. So like 0.01% versus 2%. $140,000 in fees on 7 million versus $700. Like that's the thing where it's like, even if they can, and I'm not positive. I, that math was rough and I'm not positive if it's right. There might be other things I'm not thinking about, but like, that's just, I'm just trying to get ballparks here. Um, that just goes to show it's like, do they think that they can outperform like the market that much and be so confident that you're willing to pay that much money in fees like that's not that's not something i'm willing to put my money on and even if say they have a good run of like three to five years we're talking retirement counts like you're talking like multiple decades of investing and i would rather just ride the market then than try to like pick and choose players both in terms of individual stocks and just 
active managers as they're called. I think it's a good point, honestly. And <laughs> yeah, like you just go back to like, you know, decimals and points, like percentages make a really big difference. Okay, I'm pretty sure I did do that math, right? I was just checking. <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm a little scared because I don't want to say anything wrong on this one because it is money. But right. regardless, like you get the principles I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that's with index funds, um, like the big selling point where it's like always look at the fees because that's like one of those things in the fine print that's hard to see and it's like probably the most important. And like, if you look, you'd be like, oh, if I look at the list of available funds for my company, um, you'll see that like index funds are the lowest. Some of the more actively managed ones are higher. Mm -hmm. And I, th I don't think, I think there are some pure index funds just to kind of say what I do for mine, because I don't mind is I do the Vanguard target retirement fund. I think they have a couple different versions of it and it's all based on how far out your retirement is where let's just say, for example, they have like a Vanguard target retirement 2030 versus like 2050. How that works is like the 2030 fund is for people who are like looking to retire more like around the year 2030. So it's a blend of the Vanguard, the Vanguard target funds are a blend of stock and bond stock and bond index funds so it's international stock index funds u.s stock index funds and i'm pretty sure like a blend of international bond index funds and u.s bond index funds i'm in the vanguard target retirement whatever the highest number out you can be because i want to be the most aggressive I can with the index fund. And basically like the main difference between the two is the higher out you are, the more heavily allocated you are towards stocks versus bonds. A quick breakdown of the two is stocks is ownership in a company versus bonds is having is owning the debt of a company mm -hmm. i haven't been paying attention to the bond market in the past couple of years to know like the profit profitability or like whatever so if you're interested in bonds do your research that's not something i've been paying attention to but the general principle of bonds is with stocks because you have ownership like equity you have a potential to make more money because you are a quote unquote partial owner of the company. Um, the thing with stocks is they're more volatile in principle. The way the market actually plays out depends on bigger economic conditions, but we're talking like the baseline principle of it than bonds. And the reason bonds are considered safer is because when something happens to a company, the people who own the debt, aka the bonds, get paid first before any of the owners. So like, let's say you have like this big company that goes under and they sell off all of their assets, all of their intellectual property, etc. The people who hold the bonds, they have, aka the debt, 
there's different types of bonds debt. There's levels to this game, but general basic principles is the bond, aka debt, aka loan people get paid first, and then whatever is left that gets divvied along the owners. So when it comes to retirement accounts, someone like us who we're in our 20s, we can ride out the ups and downs of the stock market. We're not going to be touching our retirement accounts for a couple decades anyway. We want to go more aggressive in the stock index funds because that's where you make the majority of your profit money, aka because you're an owner. My fund, which is still like it's a very high out one, there's still a portion of it just to kind of diversify it further that does have bond funds in it. It's a lower percentage. And as I get closer to retirement, when you don't want to worry about, like, say, the market going up and down more, that's when, say, it might be good to allocate your retirement fund to heavier bonds and lower stocks because you're trying to get more stability with your money as you get closer to taking it out. And with bonds, the value of it's like not going to drop as drastically you don't like the last which is why you like move to that it's quote unquote more stable because the last thing you want is like easy number you have a million dollar in your retirement account and the stock market dips down 30 percent right before you take out and you're just like shoot <laughs> i would need to take out my money now because i'm retiring and i had all these things i had planned mm -hmm. i just lost 30 percent of my value there so that's that's why like the general levers are I prefer index funds because I don't want to try to play the game of guessing whose debt is going to be better than others or which companies are going to outperform others. I have better things to do with my time and I don't want to pay the high fees. So that's why index. And when it comes to your stock versus your bond allocation, that's why generally the general principles are think of thinking is high mostly stock index funds be aggressive of that still keep your bond portion that's good i like how the vanguard target fund does that just because it adds more diversification there's a bunch of complicated financial math on why diversification is good just kind of trust me on that that you want it but like it it's basically goes down the principle of if one ship fails you don't lose your entire nest egg kind of thing but um does all that make sense like anything you want me to like touch on in that point no i think it makes sense and you know like how they always say you know whether you want to be more aggressive when you're young and you know more secure when you're older i think everything you explained made it clear at least for mm -hmm. me to understand how it works you know and bonds versus stocks in general and yeah. i mean personally even like outside of like my 401k i definitely like um index funds overall so i think they're a nice way of also if you want to kind of you know invest on your own to start with index one index funds are like a good way for mm -hmm. sure and i also as my caveat i don't want this to be like a oh like only invest all of your money in index funds yeah. like not nah, if, if you're gonna if you're going to like get rich, you need to deploy riskier investments too, whether it's starting your own business or maybe age. Like one of the things that a lot of people in the tech space like to do is because you get all this specialized knowledge around technology is they like to angel invest, which is essentially you fund startups that you think you've promised 
the biggest point like I'm trying to get across and um, all the stuff I've just like talked about in terms of like index funds versus like diversification and all that. One of the best books is A Random Walk Down Wall Street. Great book on just like personal finance, all this stuff. I sometimes forget where I get all the information from that's like swirling in my head. I'm pretty sure most of what I just talked about is from this book. Uh, some other good ones. Tony Robbins has always been great about personal finance and investing books. So the first one, Random Walk Down Wall Street by Burton Malkiel. Tony Robbins, I think, has like two or three investment books now. I think he keeps kind of like updating them and improving them. Check which one interests you most. The one I read, which I thought was good like a couple years ago, was Unshakable. Um, that was a decent one. But yeah, so I would say that like one of the things that like wealthy people do is they make sure the majority of their money is in more safe, secure things like let's call it your index funds, et cetera. They might be doing more complicated plays and there's a reason, there's a reason why hedge funds exist, but that's why I'm kind of like, everything I'm saying is with a caveat. Mm -hmm. If you're mega rich, you probably have access to certain like hedge funds and stuff that I don't know. They're, they're doing stuff. There's, there has, there's very smart people who put a lot of money into hedge funds and stuff like that. And there are some very good hedge fund managers that have outperformed the market. We're starting with the assumption of you don't have access to that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. I think they know something that the average person doesn't know. Share and with us, please. <laughs> yeah. So that's like, that's one like, when I say there's levels to this game, it's like, mm. I'm talking with general knowledge that applies to most people and that we can all act on. But something else that you can act on that is important is you do kind of need your moonshot projects whether because that's like where you make your like crazy multiples of money and the importance of like the moonshot projects is that you're careful about how much of your money you deploy to it a good rule of thumb that people like angel investors like entrepreneurs etc do is put 10 percent of your capital towards moonshot projects so if you lose that 10 percent of your money and it completely fails you're fine you still have like your 90 percent of stuff in your safer things like your standard investment funds by having your 10% moonshot projects. That's your chances of like you invest $10,000 in Twitter when it's early stages and it blows up into like a multi-billion dollar company. Like you want to like give yourself the opportunity, whether it's investing in your own personal business or investing in a friend's project or something that you personally believe in, look for opportunities where you have specified knowledge that can let you go, this is a good opportunity where I'm not going to risk my financial security on it, but I do believe there's a high probability of this succeeding. That's where you can deploy that like extra, like 10% give or take whatever you actually want to do, but that general principle of money towards those kinds of things without compromising the integrity of your financial future. So can you give a quick definition of moonshot project? <laughs> yeah, I would say high risk, high reward. That's like your, I'm starting a side business. That's your, I'm angel investing in an early stage tech startup, something that you have to work with the assumption that you are okay with losing all that money 
because it's it's me it's gonna be like very boom or bust it's gonna be like this succeeds and i make a hundred times my money on it or i'm gonna lose everything kind of thing it's like generally much more risky but that's kind of like it's the entrepreneurial sphere um so like we focus a lot on 401k um what do you think about other you know benefits that like companies in general gives like for example like um health savings accounts and fsas i think finance i don't know what it what that financial saving account i don't know what that yeah fsa stands for honestly i've gone through and done the research honestly i didn't have time to prepare on the health stuff for Mm -hmm. this call i would say this is what i remember from it because when i was picking out my own stuff i was choosing it um with the health savings account i think that's um actually no i'd I'd rather i could talk to some things off the top of my head i would rather make sure i prepare we can save that for another episode if there's interest Mm -hmm. but i will say there are some certain things when it comes to your like what health plan to choose and all that that like i would say my finance knowledge can let me at least throw in my two cents about Mm -hmm. i would rather prepare for that ahead of time just to make sure i'm not missing anything but yeah, I would say that's also something that is a bit more on your kind of personal health situation and like what you're working with. But yeah, we could still talk about that in another episode, even if it's just for like 10 minutes or something, because yeah. it's also important to know. But also like that's kind of the stuff with all the 401k mm-hmm. personal finance. That's my wheelhouse. Yep. Health stuff is less so. Because I've heard of people that also use their HSA to save money. Because um, I, like, I'm not like a hundred percent sure, but I think well, first of all, your company also contributes to it, you know, mm-hmm. and you are of course able to pay like your your medical bills. But for example, like you can buy band aids with that, or you know, any CVS or pharmacy stuff type of thing. Um, yeah, I can comment on this one because I know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So with this one, because like we're talking about like health savings account, um, uh-huh. this is my personal theory mm-hmm. on it, and this is coming from a 26 year old who doesn't have health problems. Is yeah. With health savings account, once you have a general, let's say, consistency to your health cost, or if there are things that you know that you need to like consistently get like let's say prescriptions or whatever that can be helpful and there are financial benefits to a health savings account of that especially if you kind of like have a general sense of what your health costs are going to be the thing i don't like personally about using a health savings account as an investment vehicle Mm -hmm. outside of what what you say designate as your range um of medical costs is i think that money is just better deployed in pure investments like use it instead of like using your health account as an investment account like use your health account as a health account and use like yeah just and this is why i kind of like i I wanted to 
before I get in depth, like say have like more thought out examples on like why this is the case. But basically mm-hmm. my principle around that is like, it's, it's easier and it makes more sense. And usually you can have higher returns mm-hmm. if you just, and it's just kind of cleaner to just use instead of putting that, if you have that extra money to be turning your health account into an investment account, it probably just makes more sense to just put that money in an investment account. It's kind of like my quick and dirty of it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that point. But, yeah. But that being said, that's like kind of, that's when it comes to like health accounts and stuff like that. And also if people have complicated personal financial situations, that's why it's like, Hey, consult an expert, do your research because there might be, and I'm sure there may like be situations where a health savings account is like the best option you can do for something. But if we're kind of talking average person, non-complicated situations yep. and what's like the situation that makes most sense for most people. Yeah. Using a health savings account as an investment vehicle outside of your range of predicted health costs, probably just better just to put in an investment account because I don't really see any reason why you'd want to do that. Yeah. I think it makes sense. Um, I, I know of a friend, so I'm definitely going to ask why she does that you know to get like more information on that so i'll share with you yeah and i'm, I'm curious because like that's what i'm saying like i'm always learning where for me it's like the reason why my knowledge doesn't go further in that is because it doesn't really apply to my situation but maybe there will be a day where that does i'm like oh that's kind of like the reasons to it so i am kind of curious say if people who've like thought this stuff through and kind of like know their like salt about it mm-hmm. kind of like what the proper deployment of that kind of stuff is but yeah yeah, if you do have like pretty consistent medical costs and like you know generally what your things are gonna be in health savings account could be a great option for just kind of getting financial benefits from that but that's kind of like my at least starting point on it Mm -hmm. yeah i think some of the benefits are that it's pre-taxed, you know, and your company also puts money towards it. I mean, for example, I actually didn't sign up for it because I I started getting curious about it when I heard two people talking about it, you know, but um, I mean, for example, like I wear glasses, you know, so I could spend my money on glasses. Um, I've been thinking about getting Invisaligns, you know, so that could be like little things like that. I guess it would make sense to do it when you have those spendings planned and stuff like that um but yeah i don't know i'll get information on that and and share with you to see what you think yeah i am curious and i th- i do think it'd be kind of for both of us with like that one that could be a cool mm-hmm. episode where we just talk about the more like health benefits side of things and what our kind of like personal experience and thoughts are because kind of like we were just saying is even if we don't have the complete picture everyone's own picture and perspective and experience getting even if it doesn't fully relate to you kind of knowing what's around does help you have a more informed thing and be like oh i didn't think about this this way so yeah it could be that could be another cool topic to dive into yep it will for sure so any yeah. last thoughts <laughs> that's pretty much all the stuff i was uh had planned to talk about any last things on your end before we call it I think no I think I learned a lot honestly and it's always healthy to talk about money you know Mm -hmm. 
That's the like, thing is I've always, always liked, yeah, I've never liked the stigma of not talking about money because I've always grown from it. And like, I understand it's like you want to do it with people that you trust and whatever, but mm-hmm. it's still kind of like, I don't know. It's there's ways that people can improve their learning just through the process of discussion. Cause even if say, the other person didn't really add anything that you didn't already know. The fact that you're just talking about it brings it back to the top of your mind anyway and like gets you actively thinking about it and making sure that like, hey, am I taking care of these things the way that I want to and I like should be doing? Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like also like different perspectives always give you like different ways of seeing things, you know, so you're always learning when you talk about this, right? Like it's a constant topic. Definitely like what in my relationship, like we're comfortable talking about money, you know? And it's a, we we always come up with like a different way of seeing something that makes way more sense than previously, you know? So I think it's a good topic. Definitely talk to your partner about it. Talk to your, you know, to your parents, to whoever you're able to talk to to it about like I don't think you should be selective about who you talk to money about you know like if you're having like a general conversation there's always something that you learn you never know where you'll get like a good nugget from I agree exactly yeah well thank you so much this was like I don't know uh finances 101 (laughs) corporate life (laughs) technically managing (laughs) on unofficial guide to what to do with your money as yeah. two 20 something year olds <laughs> exactly yeah and honestly like in tiktok because like okay so the way i use social media is if i see something that i want to learn about or i find interesting i try to at least make sure i don't spend my time in just watching like things that don't bring anything into my life you know mm-hmm. so i'll start following a lot of people that talk about money for example or how they budget or you know how i budget with this type of salary you know and i love those um tiktoks because i realize that a lot of people are in my situation you know or they're trying to learn about how to get a little healthier with money and stuff like that they're also in the corporate world and Sometimes they don't get to save other months. They get to save other months. They have things that, you know, are unexpected and stuff like that. So it's just so healthy to see that it's okay if you're not saving as much as you want to, you know, Uh and you'll get there. Oh, that just reminded me. Um, Everyone look into, shoot, is it, I need to check to make sure I say the right term quick. It's one last financial thing, which. which I'm just going to give people as homework rather than try to explain right now. (laughs) Okay. Everyone look into dollar cost averaging. Uh, Do that if you can. It's a good strategy. Averaging. Yeah. Basically, um, instead of like, say, trying to invest your money, like maybe month one doing, I don't know, investing $200 and month two, not doing any then month three doing 400 it's a generally a good strategy to invest the same amount and contribute the same amount towards your funds every month because you can buy the market at different points so like 
if it's going, if it's like up one month, down one month, because you're averaging it over all the months and like being consistent about it, it helps you like ride out the volatility. So yeah, general look into for more details. If you're curious, basically like the cliff notes of it is when it comes to investing in anything, generally a good principle to just be consistent about it. A lot of people do monthly good rule of thumb for it or I mean, with your paychecks, it will be every paycheck, which is usually every two weeks. But mm. having regular intervals from a financial math standpoint is good for mitigating risk. Good tip. Yeah. We should definitely link everything, like all of the resources you've shared. And if you have mm-hmm. any like books that you think are good, um, definitely have them in our description. Yeah, we can make sure we um get all that in the notes. I'll uh, okay. get on that. And if our listeners want to share anything with us, because we're always open to learning, you know, email us. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll put our email that is basically technically managing at gmail.com. So yeah, email us. Also on YouTube, we have the comment section. Yeah. Reach out to us, Telki Tech, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, anywhere. Basically try to find us and we'll do our best to take a look. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So awesome. that's technically managing number eight. See you all in two weeks. Bye, everyone.